0: Right, so, we're at God Speaks Again Again, which is the weirdest title of them all, and I admit I was stretching it at that point. But that's what we're doing tonight, so I want you to be thinking, especially in your study, why are we called this week God Speaks Again Again? Um, there's some again again ness <coughs> of God speaking. You'll see it. All right. Now, um, over the last couple of weeks, as I've just been reading the news and hearing things on the radio, there's something I've realised about our culture and where we're at at the moment, and it's this that if you mess up, Or if you've messed up in the past, there is no mercy for you. If you mess up big time, especially in the public eye, there is no mercy for you. I think our culture is increasingly merciless. Um, I mean, we've had it in our news, wave after wave of pasts revealed, things written on social media that have been deleted and stuff that have come back to really burn people. Now, a lot of these things have been said and done are very serious, and I'm not downplaying that, but I think it has been noticeable that the response from our society, and particularly our media, has been very merciless, in that there's there's not much room for forgiveness, or particularly this, not much room for the idea that people can change, Um, that you might be different now, you might not think these things anymore, or that kind of thing. And there's justice, and there should be justice, but is there any room for mercy? Is there no room at all for allowing people to move on and change and be forgiven? I think it's just been really interesting seeing our culture's response has been very merciless. In Habakkuk, there's this prayer. Habakkuk prays, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. There is justice, God's righteous anger at sin, and he is merciful. In wrath, remember mercy. And so maybe our society at the moment is foaming with wrath, but is there room for mercy? Well, what about God? What about if you and I mess up? What does God do about that? What about if we really mess up? What about our past? What if they come out? Ah, God knows our past anyway, right? Is there mercy for us when we are what I'm going to call sinful disasters? Is there mercy for us? Now, today's moment in Exodus that we're going to look at plays out for us what it means for God's people to be sinful disasters. Who are God's people? Sinful disasters. And for God to respond with anger and wrath and his mercy. Sinful disasters of people, God's righteous anger and his mercy. How does that all work? That's what tonight's all about. So let's um, remember what's going on. At this point in Exodus. So, so far, we're, we're at the moment, we're at the high point of Exodus. It's all been really good. God's spoken again, he spoke earlier on, but um, he's gathered his people at Sinai, he's spoken to them, he's given them his beautiful law, he's made this high commitment relationship with them, and they've said, Yeah, we're going to obey you. They made that covenant, remember, with all the blood and all that stuff. And Moses um, goes back up the mountain after that moment. So, just turn back to chapter 24. This is where we were last time uh 24 verse 15 so um yeah you you saw them they went up to the mountain they ate with god covenant has been solidified and um 24 verse 15 when moses went up on the mountain the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on mount sinai for six days the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day the lord called to moses from within the cloud To the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, So Moses, having made the covenant, he goes back up the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, and God gives him all the tabernacle instructions. This is how you're going to worship me. This is how I'm going to dwell with you. We're going to look at those instructions next week. So Moses is up at the top of the mountain, um, and he gets all of these instructions. Blah, 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 Turn over to chapter 31. We're going to skip over the instructions for now. Chapter 31, verse 18, page 90. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, 31, 18, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone. Get this inscribed by the finger of God what a description God has given the law and this, he's finished now he's completed speaking to Moses that 40 days, 40, 40 nights at the top of the mountain inscribed by the finger of God God's words to his precious people and then the camera pans down from the top of the mountain from where Moses is with God into chapter 32 and we come down to the people themselves And they are, God's people, are a sinful disaster. Let's have a look. And the camera pans down. 32. When the people saw that Moses was long in coming down, 40 days, from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took the, what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Forty days and forty nights Moses was gone and that's all it took for the Israelites to go back to Exodus 20 and the giving of the law and just set fire to it. Go back to chapter 20, giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. I want you to see what they've just done to the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Go back to 32, verse 4. They said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Do you see? You shall not make an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down and worship them because God is a jealous God. He's the one who rescues them. He's the one who loves them. You, you don't worship him through some physical image. Verse four, they, um, Aaron took what they handed them and he made it into an idol, cast and took calf. They take the worship of the God who rescued them and they pervert it. Verse five, notice what Aaron says tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord to Yahweh see they're not strictly going oh bye bye God we're worshipping another God, what they're doing is they've taken the Lord of all creation, the Lord who cannot be constrained in space and time and they've taken their accessories and constructed a cow and said this calf represents Yahweh, God to us this metal created thing is how we're going to worship The uncreated creator. They're perverting the worship of God, setting fire to the first two commandments. And God has said, You shall have no other gods before me. Interesting. He doesn't just say you'll have no other gods, you'll have no other gods before me. And here they are at the bottom of the mountain. God's at the top with Moses. And in full view of God, led by Aaron, Moses' brother, who one day is going to be the high priest, they make an idol. And they say, this is the God of the Exodus rescue. In plain view of God, they're committing spiritual adultery. Verse 6. So the next day the people rose early. And do you remember these sacrifices from from last time when they made the covenant? Sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. They, They used these offerings to make their relationship with God. Now they're using it in idolatry, afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's a very kind translation. There's probably some kind of religious orgy going on here. Calvin talked about this, having no other gods before God this way. He said, to sin before God's eyes is like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes. There at the bottom of the mountain, right in front of God, they're doing this. I think we forget that our sin is right in front of God. When we have other gods that we live for, love, obey. When we make idols, we try and access God through our own religiosity or our own good works instead of through Jesus. We're committing spiritual adultery right in front of God. He he sees everything. God's people are a sinful disaster. They don't start small, you know, with some of the obscure commandments. They don't borrow an ox and let it die or something like that. They go all out, first two commandments. And you look and you think, how could they? I mean, when God has shown them so much kindness, God hears, he heard them cry out. He spoke, he rescued, he's spoken again, giving them the law and his covenant. And they do this. How could they? And I'm sure that's something we said to ourselves. How could I? How could I have done that? I'm a sinful disaster. I have a relationship with God and I've done this again to him. What does God think about Israel's sin? Ah, Don't worry about it, guys. If you were God, how would you feel this being done right in front of you? Let's see how God responds in verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, notice how he distanced himself, your people who you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt have you ever not been given credit for something which you've done it really burns when that happens well you'll know something of the righteous anger on a grander scale that God knows because he's the one who rescued them he's the one who loves them and deserves their worship and he finds them in bed with an idol now do you remember the prayer of Habakkuk in wrath, remember mercy okay so how's that going to happen We see God's wrath here rightly burning against them. What about God's mercy? What about the big covenant promises he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? That he's going to be their God and they're going to be his people and he's going to give them this amazing land. Is this it? Is it all over? Have the Israelites blown it? Here's the second thing we're going to see tonight. God's people need a mediator for mercy. There is going to be mercy, but the key is going to be the mediator. So what we have next in this drama is a back and forth exchange between God and Moses. And this exchange kind of puts into drama this wrestle between God's just anger and his mercy. So while our culture is one which just, at the moment, blows up with wrath and anger, what about God? Is he going to remember mercy and how? And Moses here is going to play a key part. He is the mediator. That's going to be an important word tonight. He's the mediator, and he intercedes, another important word. He intercedes for the Israelites. He pleads for them. He represents God them to God. So what they need is what I'm going to call the mediator dynamic. That's just a silly name I'm giving them. Okay, the mediator dynamic. This is the way in which God responds to sinful disasters like you and me, in mercy through this mediator thing. So step one to this whole mediator relationship is is what we've seen so far, that we've got God, who is holy, and then we've got the people who are a sinful disaster, God's people. And so God is relating to them in some way. And right now, he relates in wrath. You've got God, you've got the people, and He's related to them in wrath, and they they deserve it. So that's step one. But step two in this mediator relationship dynamic is that the mediator intercedes with God on behalf of the people. So here we get. Mediator, okay, who stands in between and on behalf of the sinful disaster people, he relates to God for them. He talks, he he pleads with God for them on their behalf. And that's what Moses does at this point. He's the mediator who intercedes on behalf of the people. Let's have a look at what Moses says. Verse 11. But Moses, him as the mediator, sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and, Je- and oh, there it was, and Israel. Also, same name for Jacob. To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Or I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So God gives Moses this special role, and Moses pleads with God, and God uses that plea to demonstrate his mercy to the sinful disaster of the people. Moses, you notice he appeals to God's character. His desire to bring himself glory. He says, if you destroy the Israelites now, what are the Egyptians going to think? They're going to think you brought them out here to kill them. He appeals to God's character. God is merciful. God is gracious. God wants to uphold his glory. He appeals to God's promises. Remember your covenant, God. Remember the big three, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Israel. The promise you swore that you would be their God. You can't leave them now. So he's interceding on behalf of the people. Let's see how God responds. verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring his people on his people the disaster he had threatened. So step three in this mediator dynamic is God's response. His response to the interceding mediator is that he shows. Mercy to his people. No longer is he showing wrath because of the mediator interceding. Now he shows mercy in response to the sinful disaster people. There's still a sinful disaster, but God shows them mercy. So, will God in wrath remember mercy? Yes, because of this dynamic with the mediator. Now, We're going to come back to that a little bit more later as we think about Christ, okay? But the drama does continue. You think, well, that's it, right? God's forgiven them. The drama actually gets extended. We get more exchanges between God and Moses. And why do we get that? Here's what I think God is showing us. God being merciful to sinful disasters isn't a light and easy thing. We We get a real tension here. A tension of god's wrath and god's mercy gets played out over the next few verses it's not easy having mercy this tension is real so moses comes back down um, the mountain with these with the tablets the, the finger of fingers of god have written them and let's have a look at 19 how he responds when moses approached the camp he saw the calf and the dancing he's this is moses his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Maybe now you can see why God is going to have to speak again, again, right? Because he he's smashed the tablets with the law. He took the calf, get this, and made the people, the people who made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it in the water, and made these rights. Drink it. Drink your idolatry. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? He can't believe that Aaron was in on this. Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out <laughs> came this gold. <laughs> it, it's bonkers if it wasn't utterly tragic at the same time. Moses comes down, he's seething and you get Aaron in this pathetic, it's supposed to be a stupid response. And then we see again the seriousness of Israel's sin because we get the justice of God poured out in verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild. They're still at it. And that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of camp. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me and all the Levites rally to him. So it's not Everybody. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth throughout the camp from one to another, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And that's exactly what happened. And that day about, uh, so Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. God doesn't wipe out the Israelites. He said he won't. But he does demonstrate that what they've done is deadly serious his justice is real and moments like this in the bible should just say don't ever 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 think that our sin isn't a big deal and then moses goes back up again to do this to intercede this is what he says in verse 30 the next day moses said to the people you have committed a great sin but now i will go up to the lord perhaps i can make atonement for your sin." So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They don't brush it under the carpet. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. While God has already said I won't wipe them out, Moses understands the weight of what's happened, the seriousness of it. So he goes again to say, God, if, if forgiving them means taking my life, take my life instead. He really is their mediator. He's willing to sacrifice himself. But God's response, again, demonstrates the mingling and wrestling of justice and mercy. Have a look at verse 33. You're doing well. Keep going. All right. Look at the mixture of God's reply. The Lord replies, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So he says to Moses, no, you're not going to stand in their place, um, die in their place. But now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, the promised land. And my angel will go before you however when the time comes for me to punish i will punish them for their sin and the lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf aaron had made do you see the tension he tells them go to the land i'm going to give you the promised land and my angel is going to go with you mercy but then there's also going to be this day of punishment and that happens with the plague and then we get it again in chapter 33 we get another little exchange uh, 33. And the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out all these fellows, <laughs> these different nations. So again, you say, he see God going, OK, yes, I am going to keep my promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You are going to have this land, but and this is this is the pits. This is where it gets really bad for Israel. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse three. But I will not go with you. Because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And that the people hear it and they 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 cry. They they mourn. And he says again in verse 5, Tell the Israelites, you're stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for a moment, I might destroy you. You are so sinful, I'm so holy, I can't go with you. Do you see the tension between justice and mercy? The people's sin has so polluted them, a God of such purity and holiness can't go with them now this back and forth this mercy but justice we're meant to feel the tension and almost the messiness of that God's mercy on sinful disasters like us isn't an easy thing so what hope is there for God's people when we're sinful disasters somehow this mediator dynamic has got to work it's got to really work that's the only hope right when you get to your study you're going to see the resolution within exodus and, and how this works but for a moment i want to think about us as christians as god's people now in the new testament what about those moments when we are simple disasters when we say i can't believe i did that i did that in plain view of god what about us well, just like israel we need a mediator for mercy what you're going to see in your study is that god's basis for his mercy for israel is on his happiness with moses okay his his mercy on israel is based upon his delight in moses he's a pleasing mediator to god And for Moses' sake, God is merciful to the Israelites. What about us? Turn with me to Hebrews 7. This is good, okay. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Which is on page 1206. 1206. Hebrews 7, verse 23. This discusses uh, priests, priests um, after Moses, he's like the first priest in many ways, played this mediator role. So when it talks about priests, it's talking about mediators. They're doing the same thing. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Lots of priests in the Old Testament, like Moses, they all died. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood mediator role. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Go down to verse 28. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came out after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Here's the mediator dynamic for you and me. God looks at you and me, and what does he find? And you might feel this tonight. He finds sinful disasters. How could we do those things right in front of him? But in his wrath, he remembers mercy, and he puts forward his son as our mediator. And Jesus stands between us and our holy God. And he intercedes for us. And he says this to the Father. He says, have mercy on them because you delight in me. That's what Jesus says. Have mercy on them because my sacrifice is perfect and complete. Have mercy on them by taking my life on the cross instead of theirs. And so Jesus is the mediator who wins for us God's mercy. When Moses said... I'm going to go up and I'm going to plead for you. There was one little word which is really important. He said, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And God didn't accept his offer. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus is a better mediator. Because there's no perhaps with Jesus. God will show mercy on us. He doesn't turn... He, he turned Moses off for a sacrifice side. He doesn't turn Jesus' away. If you trust in Jesus today, God will show you mercy. Not perhaps. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you've done or what you're doing. He will show you mercy. And to test whether you really get that, I want to ask you this. I've asked this before in sermons. How does God feel about you today? How does God feel about you when he looks at your sinful disaster of life? The answer is delighted. He's delighted in you because of the quality of your mediator, his son, who he delights in. At this very moment, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, it tells us in Hebrews 7, he always lives to intercede for them. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is guaranteeing that the Father smiles on you, even though you're a sinner. The Father looks at us and says, I love you because of my Son and his sacrifice and his perfection. So who are God's people? A sinful disaster who still needs God's mercy. And we have God's mercy because of the mediator. Okay, let me pray. Father thank you for these things that you've shown us and I pray now as we continue to look at Moses, his interceding, Lord as we look at your mercy and your compassion and what you're going to reveal to us now about who you are we ask that you would convict us of our sin, that we wouldn't downplay what we're like but in the seriousness of our offence against you even as Christians we pray that right now you would show us big visions of your incredible mercy in Jesus. In his name, amen.